0: Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Leese, my bearded partner in crime, uh, here for another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast, uh, brought to you uh, with the help of Salesforce Sales Cloud, um, Lead411, Vidyard, and Gong.io, the game changer solution. So um, I want to bring in a really fun guest, someone I've, I've known at a distance. I don't know, Francois, if we've ever spoken much um, but I know Scott, if at all, I know you, you know, Scott fairly well, but it is Francois Bordeaux who is, um, at Encore Business Solutions. And I'll even go and say and throw it out there, the five on Friday, which if you haven't caught five on Friday, it's actually a lot of fun. And he'll explain what that is a bit, but Francois, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, man. I like, I like the, uh, the bearded do. I hadn't heard
1: that one before so um, and and even if uh, even if we haven't talked i feel like just uh by um you know connection um everything i've kind of heard and and seen and read with with scott and that i already kind of know half of uh, not half of who you are
0: but you know party it's you. all true it's all true The good and the bad <laughs> is all true like i'll even own the bad stuff right
2: so <laughs> but what, what he knows about about you francois is that you have the best hair in the industry or you're at least competing for the
1: best hair in the industry. I think Christian. he
0: competes yeah. with Doug Landis. I think Doug, he and Doug have very, good.
1: And, and Barker might be in the mix as well.
0: Oh yeah, Mark. Yeah. 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 That's right. Barker,
1: mm. Scott Barker. I thought, I thought that was um, uh, not not a stab or maybe a compliment or a side. What do they call that? It's um, oh. like a sideways oh. compliment about. Uh, on a TNS, a few, compliment. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Richard. There's, there was a few late nights where um, for some reason, maybe, maybe it was just being locked up in, in during the pandemic, but I, I seem to find a lot of wigs. Um, and uh, if, I, if I'm if i being truthful, I think Amy's uh, peer pressure got me to purchase a few more. So um. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell everybody what your role
2: is. I mean, you're a senior AE, Microsoft yeah. partner, partner seller. What does that sure. mean? What does your day-to-day look like at, at Encore? What are you selling? What's the cycle like? What's the price point? Give, give everybody yeah, some yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, and then I'll, g- I'll give you like a really, really quick background. I came like, uh, I don't know if there's like ever a traditional sales path. Uh, that's a whole other episode around like uh, just how people get into sales. You know, I, I really don't think there is a traditional path. And I, I actually think people with like the diverse backgrounds often brings like so much to the table. So I came from like the technical space. I started on a help desk. And, uh, you know, when I was helping uh, troubleshoot like, you know, commission check issues one day, I was like, man, like this is, this is the side I need to be on. Um, so I eventually worked my way into sales via pre-sales. And um, I've worked for a few different partners. So I've been kind of in this Microsoft ecosystem for about a decade. Um, and I'm super fortunate. And the one thing I'll, I'll tell you in this last year, especially you know, Thursday night sales listening in, um, you know, I've, I've been predominantly dealing with inbound activity because a lot of the partners and maybe it's the the ecosystem I'm in, we, we deal a lot with inbound. And then it's really kind of qualifying, okay, you know, is this a good fit? Uh, do they really need the, the service and the software we're offering? Um, I'd, I'd say I spend like, you know, 80% of my time talking to um, COOs, CFOs, um, talking about, you know, replacing kind of uh, existing ERP systems because they've outgrown things. So typically, you know, they're not so much fast growth but they've grown or acquired a bunch of companies so um, my day looks like a lot of scheduling and orchestrating calls between myself and subject matter experts um, and um, trying to get people the information they need to find out if this is really worth their time um, and then you know back to the traditional pipeline hygiene <laughs>
2: how well, many of these when, deals are real when you when you say that you're inbound does that mean yeah. you're inbound only? or like inbound primarily, Uh, what what I'm getting at, at, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go. What I'm getting at is like, I think there's a difference between somebody who um, is a seller who gets inbound leads, as well Mm -hmm. as prospects, and somebody who doesn't prospect at all, and is just getting inbounds. So I I was
1: just curious, what is your... Yeah, I, I would That's say right. we've had the luxury and maybe it's because the company I work for has been around like 30 years. So they have some good credibility. But honestly, like 95 percent of the of the inbound work and leads are are enough. So, you know, I, I've had to prospect a little bit in certain areas, but there's enough activity coming into us for us to, to stay busy. Now, what does everybody get wrong about inbound selling? What, what are all what are some of the like
2: false beliefs? that people have, um, for example, my belief might be that inbound selling is far easier
1: than outbound, right? So what do people get wrong about inbound sales that you'd like to kind of- Well, I, I, I would I would probably agree with that last statement you made, right? I mean, I, I have a, a, a massive amount of respect for people who basically have to find all their own logos and I'll make the assumption that if you found that logo, you probably aren't going to chase that person or that group of people within that organization, unless you think they're actually qualified. So you're, you're probably like qualifying them as, is a foregone conclusion. I would say just what I've seen that um, can, can burn a lot of time is people don't, you know, upfront really know how to qualify them or find out who the right person is. And then they can exhaust a massive amount of internal resources, essentially with someone that is not really a a qualified buyer. Do you see people take the leap too fast between being an inbound and
2: thinking, oh, Scott's going to give me my credit card, going to give me his credit card today. That's something that I've seen over the years is like people confuse interest with purchasing power and immediate
1: intent. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, Like, I'm, you know, everybody uses a different nomenclature, but I'm, like, kind of in the mid, upper mid market, right? So, they're going to be spending, like, north of 100K on the services side to to upwards of a million. And then on the software side, you know, uh, ARR is, like, it could be, you know, 40 or 50 to... You know three quarters, well, a quarter of a million, so it, it can get you know th- that's not like a two conversations credit card conversation, right? Transaction, it's a uh, quite a few people involved. Um, you know, explaining to them the process, they want to know who's going to be involved, so it's it's you know, I don't want to just you know call it solution selling like that's simple, but it isn't transactional, yeah. But but I but I but I do agree, I think some people assume because there's intent and they're, they're reaching out to you. Okay. We just need to basically, you know, provide them some pricing, provide this, and, That's and right. it should be Yeah. And I think a lot of people skip over the part where you actually have to sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, I think, uh, uh, you know, in my case, I would say there's people that are coming to me that are that are basically um, shopping for. They've already picked us as a as a product, right? So um, we're a Microsoft partner, but you know, I'll use the analogy of like they're they're buying a Honda. It's just which dealer are they getting it from. Versus, mm-hmm. there might be going like, well, do I actually want a Honda or do I want an Nissan or a Mazda? So um, you know, when when they're when it's the latter and they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm convinced on the product. Now it's the implementer. Then you know, I I find the experience I have uh, coming from the technical side, being able to explain to them, like all the undocumented things. Cause now the bar is so high, they can come to you. Um, you need to be able to sell the Delta. Like, here's all the things we do that you're, you're never gonna find on YouTube and on our website.
2: Yeah. Now you've said that you agree with me that inbound and outbound are different and that outbound is probably a little bit harder to sell. Mm-hmm. Would you, how do you feel about compensation plans and structures? Should inbound sales people be comp the same as outbound? Should outbound sales people be comp more than inbound? How, how do you how do you feel about that? How do you think about that? If you were in charge of uh,
1: Yeah, the plan, if I was in charge of it and I would say, hey, we have this engine that we're paying for, right? So if I was leading the ship and I said, hey, we have this engine that we pay for that puts this opportunity in your lead funnel and you get to turn it into an opportunity versus, you know, you have to go cr- find those leads. So you're taking that time. Um, my, my thoughts are you get compensated more on the lead that you get. That's that's my thinking. And, and I, I don't have any good anecdotal I, evidence out there, but I'm assuming that's- I, I mean,
2: I, I fully agree with that if it's 100% or in your case, 95% inbound kind of kind of role. Do you agree, Richard? Yeah. You, Richard's been awfully quiet
0: so far. Yeah, I know. Well, you've been on fire, man. So I'm just letting you, letting you go. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't know about that. I think the difference is um, how you view your inbound leads. And I think quantity matters because your inbound leads, in my opinion, are the most precious. Um, because there is some, to your point, Scott, you said, I love what you said, of uh, don't confuse inbound interest with purchasing intent it frustrates me when I see people put new salespeople on inbounds where they can't recognize that difference yet. And oftentimes I think there should be veterans on that team to run those leads because those things typically do convert at a higher rate um, and faster. So why wouldn't you put your best person on that team where your new people have to, you know, I wouldn't say earn it, but, you know, but, but they do need to go, you know, they got to go figure some stuff out too, and there's, yeah, there. I think it's hard to go from an inbound AE, I mean inbound SDR, to a to a to an AE if you haven't actually done the cold calling. So, you know, whereas if I have some valuable people on the inbound, um, they will have already done both. So, my answer is I think I disagree. I could be swayed depending on you know deal size and cycles and markets and you know how complex it is you know like scott you know at at qualia i can only imagine you need you wouldn't put a new person on an inbound lead and maybe you did i don't know um because it's a complex you're right it's like it was a complex sale right yeah Uh, no
2: no shot at inbounds if you're if you're brand new or you're
1: you know not performing at a high level well because i think yeah, you know, I'd be curious what both of you think, but I think the uh, the patience level of that inbound person is like you know I filled out this form, you know I'm already coming to you like you know we why do we have to five have five phone calls or meetings right so and a veteran can kind of go okay you know you're coming from this position you're telling me you're done this um, you're interested in X like you know you should be able to really dial it down um, into that first call to kind of go this this sounds like it makes sense or and not just to uh, be a contrarian, but kind of go like, I-, I don't know if you guys are ready or I don't even know if this is going to be a fit. Like, let's not waste each other's time. A, a junior person isn't going to be able to do that. They just, it just takes time to, to understand that. And, you know, th- that challenger sale, that concept is great. But I think we all know you can't do that without the experience. You can't just
0: you know, be Oh my! What was that? So that's hilarious. That
2: would be uh, my kids hijacking the Alexa machine. Nice. Going somehow coming out of the the garage where they're playing listening to music onto my computer. Total chaos.
0: Right. That's awesome. So, (laughs) um, So so Scott, now do you think that inbound should be compensated differently based on the complexity of the deal? Or more
2: or less? I, I, I 100% do. I 100% do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If, if, you, if I have two different parts of my sales org, and one of them is inbound only, and the other is outbound only, the outbound only people to me are going to get paid more and deserve to get paid more. Now, if it's more of like we're an outbound organization, but we get inbound leads as well, I'm not gonna. I'm not paying different on those. If that makes sense, I'm not gonna gotcha. get into the weeds of, of all that. But if if the roles are totally siloed out, yeah, I think that it should be it should be different.
0: Cool. So um, I want to maybe put a button on that one and and shift topics. You brought up something, Francois, before we we jumped in, which was yeah. You know, do you double down on your current career or do you start a side hustle? Right. And so I'm I'm curious where that question comes from for you. I know you have your side hustle of, of five on Friday a little bit. Um, so just curious where that where that comes from and and even your own opinion of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think it's 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 a few things. So um and and I think side hustle, uh, I mean we could have a whole other episode on this, but I mean I think there's obviously like interest, right? So you you like you like to surf that's cool, but do you actually want to be a professional surfer and leave your day job and get paid by that? Like, so, um, so I think there's the side hustles that can help you build new skills. And I, you know, like if I was managing a team, I think my comments would be, Hey, if they can, I actually, I don't care, right. Whether it's playing the guitar or, um, learning the code, like if if they think they're going to make you a better person, great, as long as they're not taking away from your, your eight to five or nine to five hour focus. Um, but I think there's this I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, but this raging debate, right, that um, I don't even it's a debate, but opinion that like, basically, unless you become an entrepreneur, you will never be successful. Versus, you know, you can never really be that successful in a day job. And uh, I, I, I used to kind of lean to, yeah, absolutely, you have to be the entrepreneur. But now I, I think they, you know, there is no right answer. You can make, a great living as a salesperson. So I'm thinking of this in the framing of really sales, but you can be a happy, fulfilled person working for employer, um, and you can also be a happy, fulfilled person being an entrepreneur. Is there less of a limit on an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think there really is no cap, but I think the the risk keeps getting kind of um, you know pushed aside a little bit, and and all we hear is the the great stories about, you know, people building a company. And, and I think we all know, I don't know how many failures there are, but there's probably, you know, one in 10,000 that succeeds. Um, and so, you know, kind of building, starting and, and doing something on your own, I think is totally fine, but not everybody's up for that. Like some people want to put their eight hours in, work hard, earn a good living, and then they want to do other things. And some people want to build that company or that business. And, and that's totally cool, but they just seem to always be at odds with each other. I think,
2: I think too often we confuse or equate entrepreneurship with the desire to go start some big, massive company and be a gazillionaire. You, you can be an entrepreneur and, and do some things that you're passionate about and have fun with and make some money on the side that supplements how you live in your lifestyle. And that's still very successful. It doesn't mean you're not not successful, right? Um, that's the part that has frustrated frustrated me at times. Is I, I once had somebody say something to me. I'm going to screw the quote up. It was like, you know, when are you going to start an actual company? And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, my consulting business is not a not a company. Like that doesn't that doesn't count. Surfing sales doesn't count. Thursday night sales doesn't count. You know, and I kind of said this to the person. They're like. Now you know, like a but like a real company, like they doubled down on it, you know. And I, I think I think that's a dangerous narrative, um, you know, for people who are, who have an entrepreneurial itch, right? Or they want to somehow cut the cord up slowly or all at once from their W two. Um, going that route doesn't mean you suddenly have the desire to try to create a billion dollar company. It just means, you know you want a little bit more more freedom and flexibility and, and, you, and you, have, you want to take ownership in creating it.
1: I mean, part, part of this has come uh, maybe recently, Richard, like in terms of like, you know, why, why did this come up? So I've got uh, three kids. My oldest is uh, 15 turning 16 in a month and my middle one is uh, 13 turning 14. And then I have a 10 who just turned 11 year old. And so my oldest will be going into his second year of high school. And so, you know, careers are coming up career paths, uh, what other people do. And, you know, often our conversation kind of leans in the direction of what can I make? Like it's all income driven and that's okay. But I'm like, okay, you know, that, that job, um, you know, it requires a lot of school. That's okay. Um, but I, I've also, I've also said, look, if, if money is the main object, you know, an entrepreneur, people who invent things, is really like there is no cap there. And, and the other thing I've tried to say too is, you know, we have friends who are whether they're lawyers or doctors or, you know, these prestigious types of titles. I said, you know, when, when they're working, they're making money. But when they're not working, they're not making money. The, the, the dream in my mind is, you know, eventually that entrepreneur can be not working and still making money. Um, and so if, you know, he, he sees kind of these lifestyle things that we've been able to do, yeah. travel, and I'm like, yeah, that's all cool, man. But if all you do is work, like how happy are you really going to be? That's, that's so what it, Scott
0: does. Scott doesn't work. He just makes me <laughs> <laughs> I just give off the impression that I work. I, exactly. I know this. You're like Costanza. You just sit there and you look frustrated at your desk pretending like you're working. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I agree on some of this. And the other thing I, I think that, and this just sort of came to mind was that you know, we swim in a very certain pond of salespeople, people who are money motivated, money driven, right? And we, you know, the frayed size hustle, the side hustles come up for the last two or three years, I think. And, you know, I know plenty of people who work in very big companies, and they don't want a side hustle, right? You know, their side hustle is their hobby, right? I've got a, I've got a buddy who, um, you know, he loves making his own barbecue rubs, and he loves he's, you know, making his own whiskey in a barrel. And, you know, those things are the pieces that give him joy. Right. So that when he's working, he's working. So, so sometimes I don't think that, you know, the side hustle can just be a hobby in some cases. Um, You know, I think that's, that's an important piece. And I think it's, it's up to what you want. Right. And it, and it, I also think it'll hit you differently at different ages of your life. You know, you know, 25 and 30, I was, you know, I should have followed some passions that I had around trying to do something. And I didn't um, even into my thirties and forties. And even now there's still things that come up and Scott and I have this conversation and I just, you know, I probably frustrate the hell out of Scott and I'm like, what about this idea? And he's like, yeah. And then I just don't do it. So (laughs) I'm not action oriented, quite like Scott. And uh, you know, some of that's age, some of it's also how I'm wired. Right. So well, on the,
2: on the it's doubling down in our conversation into the side hustles and and stuff i mean i don't know if it's a side thing i don't even know if it's a hustle but talk to us about five on friday and the yeah. work that you've been the work that you've been doing there for uh the last year and a half i mean it's been a, been a long time now a year and a half
1: yeah yeah i mean the the, the genesis origin story is, is pretty um straightforward and you know, not to like you know overuse covid as an excuse mm-hmm. but you know i i, I literally met two other people, Patrick and Amy, through LinkedIn conversations somewhere. And it was around January and, there, and we all had some kind of like sales kickoff presentation we're putting together. And we all just kind of went, Hey man, like, I love like a totally different set of eyes on this. Like, I don't want it, my colleague to look at it. I want somebody who's never seen it. So we, we helped each other out. We're like, that was great, man. Like more people have got to want this. And we all went, yeah, of course. So we said, well, let's just do it. Let's just get five people together on a Friday one person presents, the other four give them feedback. And that was it. So put up a website, put up a forum. we didn't want it to cost anything. And um, it was interesting that like the interest level for presenters was higher at the beginning. And then I think maybe people realized like, wait a minute, I don't want to really stick my neck out and like fail in public, if you will. Then then the presenter kind of sign up came up. So yeah, we've been going for like, uh, almost a year and a half. So like, you know, 60 plus people presented like a almost 300 people have passed by. And what blows my mind is that people will give an hour of their day to a stranger.
2: Have you, have you done this yet, Richard? Have you been on the show?
0: I don't think I have, unless I was early on. I don't think so. So I also didn't 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 fill out the form to present. So, um, I also, you know, a year ago, Scott, we were trying to bust out a hundred episodes of 200 episodes (laughs) of surfing sales or a hundred episodes. So I think my time is limited.
2: Yeah. Well, that's because you do all the work and i don't do any work (laughs) exactly
1: scott came on scott came on and he he gave very very good feedback to a a a fellow who i think in the moment may have been been quite humbled but uh that's what it's for right it's not like some dragons den, but it's it's a get better
2: what's interesting is i
1: francois is being
2: kind a little bit but like (laughs) no i i gave this person like some pretty direct feedback I went in, like, pretty hard, you know.
0: Um, like, this is a bad idea, don't do it?
2: No, just, like, you're doing this wrong, and it's, like, n- not good. You need to get a lot better very fast. Um, but what's funny is that person ended up losing their job, but not, not performing well, and has since gotten some, some other roles and stuff, and has followed up with me consistently. Right. And in the moment, like I think the feedback was probably tough for him, but he keeps coming back to the well, you know, messaging me on LinkedIn, kept me updated on job hunts and whatnot, asked for advice. And, you know, so I've stayed in touch with this person and uh, it's, it's an interesting kind of, you know, turn of events from the Five on Friday show. And I, well, I, wonder, yeah. I wonder if that's common, actually, and an underrated part of, of what you've done is you've connected people and given them the opportunity to make new, you know, business relationships
0: and
1: and, and so forth.
0: It's a little unapprovation. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Yeah, there was never
1: like the the, the kind of was never really an end goal. And people said, Hey, do you want to monetize it? Like the reality is the three of us really do this on the side of our desk. It isn't a side hustle for income. Could it become something? Possibly. Um, it takes a few hours of just basically organizing people. It's a Zoom meeting. We record it. Um, but um, to, to, to Scott's point, um, yeah, I'd say, you know, we have like you know, 90% customer satisfaction. Well, I should say 99 because nobody's ever not enjoyed it. But we, we I, on a regular occasion, um, we'll get like an email back to the group. And saying, you know, here's the feedback you guys gave me on whether it was my pitch or my cold call script or whatever it was on a Friday. And I am I did this Monday and Tuesday. These are the results. And I, I'm just blown away. I'm like, you know, this is cool. It's free coaching. But um, I, I'm also really humbled because I, I told someone it was like a mini MBA this last year because I sat in on almost all these sessions. There's sellers in there with more experience than me. There's areas that I'm not like really... Competent in, and so I just get to listen in, like it's like raw, real practice, like not stuff in a textbook. And so it's honestly, you know, I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of
0: it is just being able to absorb all this. I'm registering now as a as a uh, participant, not as a presenter.
1: Well, and, 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 and and I'll tell you one thing, and I, I'm sure you guys can, can kind of relate to even in the, like the podcast world, we we or i are like i love bringing in basically the most diverse group right like if we're all strangers great and sometimes like this friday scott i've got a guy from austin coming on and he is a uh, you're gonna laugh but like he's got a phd in a rhetoric wow so but but like persuasive speech is his forte mm. so i'm i actually have to fill that spot um, i had somebody cancel last minute but I'm like, this guy's going to give you amazing feedback on your yeah. cold call pitch. Yeah. He doesn't probably care about selling, but he'll be like, here's the mechanics of the linguistics right, you're using. Right. Yeah. And we've had a linguist come on and we've had like, we had a guy come on. This was like almost a year ago. Um, and I saw it like by day he worked at HubSpot. So I'm like, okay, this is slam dunk should be a really easy conversation. And then, you know, the day before I try to get them to put together a little bio to give the group some heads up. And he's like, well, actually, my problem is I own like a tobacco store in like Manhattan, like selling pens and lighters. And they're not moving right now. Like my store is shut down. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is gonna be a disaster. Like what are a bunch of SaaS sellers? Because 90% of the people on there are like in SaaS sales, right? What the heck are we going to tell this guy? And it was amazing, man. We had people, one one of the girls came from Cameo before and she's like, you should do this. And um, Morgan, I think Ingram was on that one. And it was a blast. Like um, and so I just like
0: this, like total serendipitous, unique mix. I want Scott to go on as a presenter. So then I can actually. <laughs> <continue>. <laughs> yeah.
2: So you can critique my, uh, my cold calls, Richard, is that why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so,
0: so talk to us a little bit more about like, how did you even get in sales? Like, where did it come from for you? Like, were, were you the kid entrepreneur selling candy? You, you know, what was your deal? I was I was giving my uh, my teenager heck the other day because I
1: was saying when I wanted something I had to figure out how to buy it or or sell something or flip something I I mean I didn't come from like extreme poverty but like you know single mom and it was like you know I mowed lawns I had a paper route um, and we lived in a really like relatively small town and um, so I was telling like we're in a I live in a bigger city now and you know it's my own fault my my kids have a good but I was like. I didn't get cool clothes like this like i said if if but the clothes that i got i would sell to kids on my block
2: so i think wait wait the clothes (laughs) that you would get you would sell to kids on your block would you sell them prior to using them or would were you selling used and old clothing
1: so uh i mean I'll, i'll date myself here but um in the, in the time period of crisscross, there was a store in the city we would go to like once in a month that had the, had the pants with the pockets in the front. And I thought this was going to be cool. Um, you know, this goofy, uh, tall white kid wearing them. And then I went out to visit my family out East in Quebec and my uncles just heckled the heck out of me. So that, like, as soon as I got off the plane and got home, I was telling all my neighbors who didn't leave town, like, these are the hottest thing you should buy. Them. And, uh, I the story. And basically all Chris them.
0: Cross was or is.
2: I know who crisscross Cross is. Good. <laughs> I don't know.
0: You're, you're younger than me. Oh, dude.
1: Man, I was like 12, 13 years old when that uh when that happened. Okay. All
0: right. So,
1: yeah yeah, I think we I think we're in a similar age range. And then I also had a friend who's um this this is actually kind of funny. So his mom owned the salon. Uh, He he was, I can't remember where he was from, Middle East or India. His dad had the video store. And every time he went in, you saw the stack of VCRs. He was clearly like recording stuff. And his video store would get shut down like every six months. But um, his dad, when he'd come back from traveling, I'd go upstairs in the salon with, I can't remember this kid's name, and he'd have suitcases. And he'd just start opening them. And there was all this like um, clothing that we wouldn't even get here. And I don't know if it was real or if it was legit. And so I would buy it, I would wear it for a few months and then I would sell it. And now, now that I think back, it was so shady.
0: <laughs> Not at all. There's nothing shady about that. <laughs> <You're a kid. laughs> I'm
1: just thinking, I bought something out of a suitcase. I don't even know if it's real. And then I'm reselling it. But like, I, I mean, you name it, like bikes, video games, anything I could I could flip. Um, and then then I got into, um, uh, I mean, I, 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 I did all sorts of like eaves troughing, landscaping, irrigation pipe, um, installation, welding. So welding was the, I tell people my tipping point story. Um, I got laid off from that. And then I went to an unemployment office and um, I'd been looking at like tech. So this was like 99. I thought, man, I'll get into tech and I'll be like a millionaire because everybody's going into tech and it's just going to be amazing. Um, And I was like the youngest guy in there. And because I spoke French, I was able to get a, like a tech support job out of that. But in that course on the unemployment office called me and said, Hey man, like you don't even qualify, you don't even have enough hours, but they had already cut me a check for this like, you know, upskilling course. And uh, so anyway, I, I got into tech, worked in help desks, you know, I want to be like an IT manager. And like I was mentioning, I'd see the salespeople and sometimes I was like, man, these, they're terrible. Like they don't even, they can't even sell me the, the hardware. Um, And, you know, little did I know. And then, so eventually um, I was working for this consulting company. I, I basically convinced them that they needed a pre-sales role. And then I got into that and that was like the tipping point. Right. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to slowly find my way into sales. Then I actually left the, the, like Microsoft ecosystem and went to a learning management system company sold there and then came back to, um, to this ecosystem and the rest is history. You want to
2: change gears ever so, ever so slightly. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Words like the work that you've done to um, build your brand up, which I'm sure has been a big part of helping make, um, you know, five on Fridays a, a success. I don't know that that show works the same way. If people didn't know you and Amy and Patrick a little bit from the, the branding and the work that you've done. And one of the things that's, risky and and you hear people talk about is you know when you put yourself out there often enough you're going to get people who disagree with you or who are rude to you or you know even worse troll you basically right so i want to talk about a moment last week where you wrote something and i disagreed with it and you and i went back and forth uh, a little bit on it um So talk a little bit about both the the journey of putting yourself out there and the reality of some of the like the dark side of putting yourself out there like that. And then and then I want to get into a little bit of like how difficult and sensitive it is online to disagree with people and how tough it is to, to navigate like that kind of relationship because you and I know each other and are friendly. And you know you, you you read the back and forth and and you get hear something from somebody else from the outside and they're like, "Hey, are you and Francois like you guys hate each other now I'm like what <laughs> I disagreed with like one fucking thing the guy said now I hate him. what are you talking about so
1: talk to talk a little bit about that yeah, yeah yeah no um so it's funny right because i I was you know I remember looking and I signed up for LinkedIn like you know over a decade ago, but it just wasn't what it is now, and so I would say like about uh, over a year ago it was when I kind of doubled down I said okay I, I think this personal brand thing has legs and you know there was all the stats around the amount of people that were actually posting on the platform and then I started getting involved in more communities Um, and the end goal was never like you know more me putting on more content equals leads um, because I, I got that question all the time as I became more active people were like hey man you're doing this like are you getting more business I was like no that's not the intent here right I I always went back to this analogy of it's a physical networking event turned virtual. So, you know, if I am running into Scott and uh, Richard at these events, eventually they're gonna know me and they're gonna trust me. And eventually maybe a transaction will happen out of it, but maybe I'm playing too much of a long game. Maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Um, But I would say like, in terms of the tone, you know, uh, not so much the messaging, but you know, sometimes there's a bit of that lighter, fluffier, like rah, rah, we can all do it. But I would say in the last like few months, um, you know, I've probably taken a little bit of a page out of your book, Scott, in terms of like I used to be like, you know, I gotta post this consistently on Monday to Friday, and now I'm just like, if it's not there, like if it's not something I feel like posting, I don't schedule it. I don't have a calendar. Yeah. But if something hits me, I put it in a note, and then I post it the day after or the or the time. Well, that, so that
2: that you and I are aligned on that that part now. You know, I I didn't write anything today, for example, and and I don't think I wrote anything. Friday, I shared like one article, um, which yeah. is sometimes what I do when I can't think of what to say. So I don't, I don't force things anymore. But, but for all those listening, the thing that Francois and I disagreed on last week, Francois said, and Richard, this is what I give Richard hell for all the time too. So Francois said, never mind the the whole theory of like the right time to post something, right? Just post whenever you want. And I read that initially as like, hold on, because if I post something at nine o'clock at night versus 12 noon versus nine o'clock in the morning, like those, that same content is going to get very different responses for me based on where my audience lives and what their habits are and, and whatnot. And, you know, there are certain time slots that I know particular people always post during. And so I don't post during those slots because i want to like try to carve out my own a little bit and so we went back and forth on that a little bit which is i'm always giving richard grief because he'll like write something pretty cool and it's like 5 p.m central when it comes out and i'm like what are you doing dude that's not the right time to try to get maximum (laughs) engagement and be as helpful as possible to as many people as you can
1: yeah and, and i don't have the the conversation in front of me but i remember it and um you know and i think i was also saying like look man like you know, don't be a slave to the algorithm. And, and, and um, I, like the analogy of, of posting at the right time, I get that, right? It's like you, you put your billboard on the main street or like in the alley, like you might have the most phenomenal statement, but if nobody sees it, what does it matter? But I would argue the time zone is more like whether you put it on this main street or you put it on the whole other end of town where maybe nobody knows you because I think what can happen and what can be a bit dangerous is when you're often engaging and I'm guilty of this, with the same group, then it becomes like an echo chamber. And you know, you know, Richard might actually get different eyeballs from people in different time zones because he posts at five. You you are maximizing that exposure time. You know, Richard strong, I don't think that's wrong. Not
0: up at, Richard does it this way because Richard's not up at six in the morning, or <laughs> yeah. in the optimal time, where Scott has a natural time zone built in so he can do it, right? So. Um, you know, and yes, I could buffer it, but then that affects the algorithm, you know, there's all kinds of things. So um, and lately my content hasn't been that good. Like I haven't been inspired to write a lot of good stuff. So
2: well that that that's something that's important, I think, for people to to keep in mind and understand. Like there are highs and lows in your in your creativity or in your ability totally. to produce good content and, and, and whatnot. But you know. You don't want to totally disappear. You don't want to totally disappear, but it's hard. I, I'm, Richard, you and I have been at this for Jesus. I don't know five plus years, six years. Yeah, we've been at it a while. Yeah, I've been at it for a while, trying to throw out like you know useful, helpful information while also trying to be creative, push the envelope a little bit of like topics that are are taboo or or not talked about enough, while trying not to be a slave to the algorithm and do things that are obvious that you know we're going to get you know the best reactions and whatnot but it's exhausting sometimes yeah i've made i've made the the joke with richard that um you'll know i'm i'm
1: ready to retire when i quit linkedin (laughs) but but to answer your earlier question too which i don't think i did um i i think it's a good sign typically if you are getting people disagreeing with you right because it means there's some friction it means it's a it's like a, a an important topic and so I don't shy away from them. There's, there's the odd troll. I, there's been very few, um, but I'm happy to engage with people and say, hey, we can agree to disagree here yeah. too.
2: It's tough. Rich, Richard is much better at this than me. Richard loves to get into good old fashioned, you know, debates on uh, LinkedIn and, and other platforms. And
0: it's the, one, it's the yeah. one place where I've learned to be more civil. If you had to have that conversation with me in person, I get very argumentative. So, which that's Scott, a, you probably- that's,
2: that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, you're you're actually kinder
0: behind a yes. keyboard. Yes, that's pretty rare.
2: Yeah,
0: is it? So, <laughs> so anyway, I know we I, we got to wrap, and we're gonna you know shift to our favorite okay. last question. Um, yeah, quick, give a shout out to to um, Lead Four One One Gong.io, the game changer in sales revenue intelligence, uh, as well as Salesforce Sales Cloud and Vidyard, um, the leader in uh, video sales techniques um tools so anyway so our our last question francois is what can we do for you how can we be of support to you
1: yeah great question i mean i think honestly you know i'll probably reach out um and um like i said we have a really good uh kind of uh, queue or backlog of people that are happy to present and and help on five on friday i think sometimes um Again, not everybody's up for presenting. Not everybody knows about it, right? So uh, sometimes somebody will say, hey, man, I know this SDR or this AE, and this is a piece, uh, you know, an area they'd love to practice. And uh, I think this would be a great forum. Um, and so, um, you know, I think, I think what maybe dissuades some people is this. They don't really want to do it in public, right? We do record it. We do a screen share. Um, and, you know, honestly, I might, I might tap you guys on the shoulder after this, to get your thoughts on like what maybe we could do differently or better or um, in terms of like the, I don't call it the platform. I don't like calling it a community either. To me, it's just like a weekly service.
0: Yeah. Well, or Scott can answer it now. Oh man. <laughs> I'm, I'm in terms
2: of what you could do better. I, I don't, I don't know. I, my default answer, I guess, would be the volume of them. And that's bandwidth and time commitment. And in Francois's case, not just from one person, from at least three other people who are regularly on the uh, show. But I think one of the only reasons, Richard, that um, our podcast uh, got traction or has any traction is because we do so many episodes of it. There's so much content all the time. There's 250 episodes now in a year and a half, right? So- if I think about five on Friday, it's nice, but there's not that many of them. You've been at it for a year and a half, but you've had, I don't know, seventy episodes, sixty something. So yep. maybe, maybe can you do more five on Fridays, and they, they they come out in in batches. Like, how do you kind of try to scale that? Yeah. In 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 some way, that's one thing that I, um, that I would think that I think would Know be helpful and and
0: beneficial.
2: I don't know. You what about you, Richard?
0: I think it's I think it's um, pretty accurate. Um I've also stopped seeing it on I used to see it on my feed more. I don't know if that's if you guys have made an adjustment to how often you post about it. Um and you know, this is a a challenge we run into, is like we we release podcasts enough, but then we don't necessarily go promote them enough, right? Because we have often promoting other content that we're writing, so it's you know, that yeah. that's a, that's often a bit of a challenge. So I like that. Um, I, I like the idea of you promoting it more so people know that it's out there, even if you can just start promoting it on Twitter or something like that. Like we you know Patrick. Patrick came to Surf and Sales and, and you know yeah. he also writes brilliantly, aside from being a really well-grounded, connected human being um who, who understands life and stress and sales and all those things. So um, so I, I think there's some promotional opportunities there. I think, again, a place we're not great at is um, you know, taking them and turning them into blog posts so you can get more mm-hmm. mileage out of them, right? So my piece and, and yeah. what Scott and I are working on is that when you do something like on five on Friday, it's not one thing, it's an asset. So totally. could I write a LinkedIn post afterwards? Could I write a Twitter post? Or could I write a blog post? Could I go create you know, you know, videograms and audiograms of, you know, snippets. And again, that becomes a whole other undertaking (laughs) and time. Those are, those are ways you can do.
2: And to be be clear, we haven't succeeded at doing any of that stuff either.
0: So we've just, (laughs) we've just started doing some audiograms and videograms with, um, with our bonfire sessions that we do. Um, And, and that's sort of like the gift back to the panelists, like, Hey, we made this for you. And, you know, if you want to go yep. promote it and use it yourself, please feel free to do so. We, I promote a lot of stuff on Instagram now that I have a, someone who's doing it. So there are lots of little things you could do. I mean, I've got, do, some, do you
1: guys like how many people do you have helping you guys with surfing sales?
2: One to two that are not, you know, full-time. They're just yeah. trying to be helpful.
1: Um, yeah. But like do you guys edit and all that or you you hand off the editing well we don't do editing
0: so okay okay so now on the audience so this is the part you know where scott you know just thinks wow that's cool good job richard is you know i do have someone who runs my website and marketing stuff um and so she helps you know set up the landing pages and the registrations and then i have another person who takes the, the content and has found someone on Upwork to go do the audiograms and videograms inexpensively and stuff like that. So I'm sort of putting some money into it to do those things. But um, again, I'm trying to just sort of up the brand a little bit um, as best we can. Do you think there'll be like, I don't know if you guys are seeing
1: it, but obviously we did this like a year ago. I think people were looking like there was a real like desire for this Mm -hmm. type of like people wanted to connect. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're getting like m- much less interest, but like people might just be like, you know what, I, 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 I want to go out now. Things are open. Like I, I don't want to sit on a Zoom call Friday practicing my sales pitch. Like I want to go out to a pub.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there's a little bit of saturation. The beautiful thing, though, I think is that you have a fan base and people who like to come to it. Same thing for Thursday night sales. Like they, they hit the mark so well, like, like they hit the bullseye straight out of the gate. And it's not going to go anywhere. People, I don't think people will give up Thursday night sales. Now they might come three times a month or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Thursday night sales really is just like going to the bar and hanging out, you know, of the the few episodes I've been on um, and and attended. um, It's no different than going to the bar and it's a lot less expensive and it's more meaningful conversations with people that you care about who care about you and they're in depth and they're not always about sales. It's, you know, they get personal and, um, professional advice and so you know I think they feel that they fill a niche that you know for particularly for those of us you know either early in their career where they have the time or we're older in our career and we have family and other commitments that you know I can at least jump in for 30 or 45 minutes on a Thursday I don't have to like get in the car and go anywhere and do all that so I think they'll survive for <laughs> I think they'll survive indefinitely short of oh, yeah. Amy or Scott, you know, deciding to end it, which I don't think they're going
1: to do. i brought some people in outside of sales. Um, somebody from marketing who I was like, look, man, you're going to work with the sales team. This is a great way to kind of hear their perspective. And he was just like, man, this is, this is great. Like, I love hearing this unfiltered, like raw, I, he didn't think this type of kind of discussion existed, so I, I think it's got legs for sure. In summer it'll be tough, but um, I think you got a good core there, and it, yeah, it, it's it's gonna last.
2: I think I think anybody who's puts anybody putting on <clears throat> events on online events of any kind, um, there's going to be a natural kind of challenge here because, like you said, people want to go back to the pub. People now are vaccinated and able to travel and do different things and i think that they'll be you know kind of like this this big step away from some of the online stuff for a while but i think you gotta try to not get too caught up in like you know oh our numbers are down or or, or whatever like because there'll be a snap back. Yeah. You know, even if it lasts all summer long, there's still a snapback when everybody's kids go back to school. Yep. And things like that.
0: Right. When, Winter uh, comes along. Like I think that's big for Thursday. Yeah, night, and it, you know, and like, if you just cold, you don't want to go outside. So
2: and if, and, if and if you've done a good job of of being helpful and being consistent, like, you know, people will people people show up to the things that they enjoy and they that they get value from. Right. And you know. It depend, depends on what your goals are, I guess, but you know, if I was solely trying to get to a thousand attendees every single night, that would be discouraging for my Thursday night sales work. But that's not really the goal, you know? The work is build a strong community and a place for people to, to hang out and have fun and, and, uh, and engage and listen and, and learn a little bit. And like Richard said, if the the size of the community grows overall, but the number of attendees every Thursday night stays roughly the same or grows really slowly, I think that that's totally fine because some people will go once a month rather than four times a month, but people know it's there. People know it's there and they know what they're going to get. And I, and I think that, you know, finding more ways to entrench five on Friday to have that same kind of vibe or thought process um could be helpful for for all of you you yeah?
0: know yeah cool So no, that's good feedback yeah all right well, we- thanks for for joining us man um been yeah. really a pleasure and a good question too that was not a question we've had to answer in a yeah, long- that was all. <laughs> so that was a good one so- no this was fun guys appreciate you having me
2: okay man
1: take Talk care soon.